everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. It's a Monday night. We are back after not the best of weekends, but we're still here. We are missing Gally, so if you're in the North Carolina, Charlotte area, make sure you guys are looking over your shoulder because he could be stalking you in that area tonight. I am your host, as always, Timuchin, here in Chicago, and with us, as always, joining us straight from the stadium is Bickler. Bickler, what is happening? I'm here. Uh, I'm... Uh... Just laughing at myself at Galley and Charlotte. There's not there's not very many cities in the U.S. where Galley would stroll into and be considered a danger uh, to the social circle. Uh, but Raleigh, or, uh, Charlotte, just happens to be a very white collar banking city. So I am uh, I'm laughing my tits off that Galley's there. <laughs> We're hoping maybe he can hop on at some point during the night. So we'll see how that pans out. If he can find a safe area. Uh, where he's away from his crimes and he can like hop on over here. So obviously no galley means no trivia. So lucky you, uh, since I'm not going to torture you alone. It's not as, you know, it doesn't give me as much enjoyment when I only torture one person. I just want to see two people in pain. Uh, that kind of like makes my day. So uh, we're going to skip trivia. I do want to make this. Uh, uh, see, see the, the fans want trivia, dude. The fans want trivia. I know you guys don't, but the fans do. So, I'm here for the fans, but I did not prepare trivia, so there's that. Um, <laughs> let's cover this. Um, your If you were taking parts, obviously, in the fundraiser, we appreciate all the donations there. Uh, if you were a part of the silent auction, everything that is for the silent auction has all been shipped out. And honestly, most of them should be received by now. Uh, if you do not get them by later this week, uh, please get a hold of Paul Bickler is the name. I'll shoot the email address so you guys can contact them directly uh, and, you know, follow up on your shipment. But no, you know, joking aside, yeah, let us know if there's an issue with it. But everything should be uh, at their final destination by the end of this week. Uh, thanks a lot. As always, we were able to put together a little over $3,500, Bickler. That's not too shabby. Uh, in a world where we kept talking about, you know, $100 gets 10 kids. Uh, the psychological help they need. So 3,500 goes a long way. We do have one more event coming up, a single day event. Uh, so we'll announce that later this week. Uh, that should only add up to the tally. And it's not a lot of money, Bickler, but it's better than zero, right? Thank you, yeah, everybody. A little bit helps. It really helps. And yeah, we appreciate everybody who was able to chip in in one way or another, even if it was a simple share. Uh, we do really appreciate it. And like I say, it definitely helps us sleep better at night, being able to contribute in uh, some sort of fashion. So this weekend was like a weird one. I did watch the first half live on my phone waiting for Layla's graduation because you got to get there early and get your seat in the stadium and everything. Um, the second half, initially I watched the highlights when i got home uh kind of like following it live over there in between some of the speeches and stuff as i got updates uh but then i tortured myself and watched the second half too because that's the kind of torture i exposed myself to for the fans out there what did you make of the game bickler is this basically what we were afraid of all along and maybe like a, i know we're going to talk about probably the refereeing decisions but what did you make of the game I mean, it's a shame that Galley's not here because I was going to ask you boys if you're still more afraid of Leicester than you are Aston Villa. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, for me, it's like if we were going to, like, not make top four, like, this is probably the way that we would not make top four, right? I mean, it's the reason that we didn't beat the likes of Forest and Leeds and all those other games that we shouldn't have dropped points in. And um, I think – Villa is a tough team, but I think the draw was sort of like reminiscent and sort of just a microcosm of the entire year in one game. I mean, I didn't think we were particularly sharp in possession. Um, we struggled winning the ball back in the final third. Um, there wasn't much of a press for much of the game. Um, I think just like we looked vulnerable in transition. I mean, all the sort of low points – that we hit on throughout the year with this side, I felt like sort of happened in one match. And I think part of that is just where this side is in general. I think the other part of that is, is like, you know, Emery has had Jurgen Klopp's number for a number of years now, going all the way back to the Sevilla final. And I just think he sets up a midfield that makes it very, very difficult 
for uh, our system in general. Yeah, it was more of a reality check, wasn't it? I mean, you watched that first half, and it was more like, I know we were on this run, but we said this last week, too, and heck, the week before, too, that, you know, when I gave percentages of the top four, it was more about us winning all games that I was keeping the percentage low than other teams losing points. It almost felt good in a sick kind of way that United won, because I think I would have felt a lot worse if United lost points against Bournemouth and we drop points on top of that. I mean, you watch that first half. Um, I mean, mind you, they also missed a penalty kick in that first half. Uh, so, and it looked like, and Klopp talked about it after the game. They looked like in a rush when we had the ball and we were attacking. It almost felt like it was the last five minutes. Heck, we don't have that much of an urgency sometimes in the last five minutes of a game that we showed. And it wasn't even urgency. It felt like they were rushing things in possession. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's it's hard to fault them though. I mean, we talked about this this lack of urgency all year, and then they played a game <laughs> where where it felt like they were in injury time since the second minute, right? I mean, uh, and I think part of that is because like one of the things that Villa does do is similar to Brentford, they just slow the game down a lot, and so I think we played like a team that felt like we were going to have very limited chances, and as a result, I think we probably were just like a little bit careless on the ball at times just because we were rushing. I don't think we were as careful in possession as we probably needed to be early on. And, and yeah, I, I think we just struggled to really retain uh, possession early on and sort of like create any sort of rhythm in this match in general. Um, and honestly, like, I mean, we can talk about how this has kind of been a set starting 11. Like for me, like this match, was the match where I would have rolled out Bobby. Like, if anything, you need help in the midfield. And I know Gakpo can do it. But, like, if this is really Bobby's swan song, which it is, like, why not roll with him? I mean, you know he can still, like, like he's got one more match to kind of put it together. Do you get 90 out of him? Maybe not. But then he walks off at 65 to a standing ovation. Like, I just would have rolled with him from the get. Um, I understand why we didn't. But I, I would have done it differently. Um, it, there's a lot of things going on. I mean, I think it was really tough to watch Diaz in his current form continue to struggle. Um, I have real concerns about Diaz's lack of willingness to take people off the dribble. Like, I mean, which is where he was at his best and most terrifying was when he would take people right down the line. He had the chance to do that several times and opted to turn inside and slow the play down. And that's, that is something that I think we're going to have to keep an eye on. And it's something that's worrying for me um in general so yeah a lot of lots to unpack um but yeah i mean i just think that we were a sort of culmination of things we've been all year and in that in the end of the day wasn't good enough yeah i think with bobby i felt like it would bring him off the bench i think we talked about it on like the friday as morning show and we were kind of torn too like do you start him uh from the beginning because you know you're going to get a performance out of him with just everything going on uh, but is it worse to take him off in a game maybe he didn't perform well in as opposed to kind of like inject him into the game? I almost felt like he came in too late because uh, it was a great way to bring the stadium back into the game full force and get like the MPL behind. I almost felt like he came in too late. I would not even have minded him coming in at halftime, to be honest with you, so that, you know, you kind of get that impact of him coming in. I mean, Brian says Diaz still not 100%. And you can kind of tell... What I do not like is not only sometimes, yeah, he did not take the people off the dribble, but it felt like he was forcing it at times too, instead of maybe playing within the game. I think he was one of those players in particular, I felt that was playing in a rush. Like it was, the game was almost over. We got to do something kind of thing. But I think you make a good point. I think Villa slowing the game down gives you the psychological thing that we're only going to get 20 chances. So I've got to make everything count. And you kind of like, you know, push that pass a bit harder, which makes it go a bit shorter, go a bit faster. We know how that works. Makes you think maybe when you don't want to think and just play on impulse and stuff. What do you make of that whole ordeal? I know Klopp said after the game, I'm not going to say it because when I say it, you know, it only becomes like, oh, Klopp is complaining about it. But 
the amount of playing time in terms of what they add to the game, I'll be honest, it's annoying and makes the games last forever. But we saw this in the World Cup, and I see this weekly as I follow the Turkish League. They add a lot more to the games based on the number of substitutions being done, based on how slow down the game gets. I mean, I would say every game, every half at minimum gets 7 to 10 minutes added. I know it feels a bit obnoxious, but at the same time, Bickler, it's at least brings back some of those minutes that the other team wasted. I mean, to me, this is just another version of like diving, right? I mean, we've seen several times where like somebody has blatantly dived and VAR has got involved and basically rolled it back and basically put called, you know, rolled it back and changed the changed the call on the pitch, but like there's no yellow card, right? So, like, where is the incentive to not do it? It's the same thing with time wasting. As long as there's these, as long as there's not incentives for players not to do these things, they're gonna they're gonna do them. Like, right? Like, I mean, why not? Like, but like, if yeah, there's no incentive for a team like Brentford, for like Everton, like Villa, or any of these sides that often do this. There's no incentive for them not to because they know this is their best chance to pull points in certain situations. And so like, I don't fault these teams, but yeah, I do fault us not having a system where we don't address it correctly. And not only do we not address it correctly in terms of overall time, there's a distinct difference in how we treat time added on, on the first half and second half, which is crazy to me because to me, but we see games where there's just as much time wasting in the first half. And we have like two or three minutes, maybe at most. And then at the end of the half, there's always six or seven in a game that has a lot of it. But, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know. I don't understand it other than the fact that, like, English referees right now are getting so much shit well-deserved for the standard of refereeing in this league right now that I think they feel like the added time on thing is another thing that if they add too much is going to be highly scrutinized. You know what I mean? Like if they add 10 minutes, that's going to be another talking point and they just can't have it or just don't want it. That's the only reason that I can think of as to why there isn't because there, like we talked about what the Brentford match and the fact that there was like literally under 55 minutes of actual gameplay in the match. I think it was something like 49, which is absolutely insane. You're telling me that almost like, that you're essentially saying that like literally 45% of that match was was just dead space. It's so weird to me. Like that we're not accounting. NBA? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, like so so legitimately we should have added on like what 40 extra minutes of time and we got maybe eight. Like, well, I think that's because they do not really add time for wasted time. The reason right. you usually see more time added in the second half is substitutions. It's almost like how many substitutions times 20 seconds and there we go kind of an ordeal. They don't really keep time of how much time wasting was done. It's either injuries or substitutions, I think, are the only things that are added. But you got to make it. I mean, the the rule, like the six second rule, like what even happened to that? Because I have not seen it enforced in ages. And the only player that's been aware of it and whining about it is... Rather accordingly, the whiny face Jesus, I've seen it at Arsenal games, like counting how long the goalie's hanging on to the ball. That's like, amazing. Because, like, yeah, with his whiny face whining about <laughs> it. And I was like, I mean, hey, he's doing one thing, right? Because what happened to that? Because if you're going to do that, see, like the diving thing you were talking about, I think it's kind of tricky because it's very subjective. I mean, sometimes you can clearly see it's a dive, whereas sometimes it's, well, that's not enough of a contact, or he exaggerated the contact. Well, you can't necessarily say there was no contact, it was diving. So it has to be, you have to take the subjectivity out of it. And the only time to do that is basically tell goalkeepers, you got to put the ball in play from a goal kick, I don't know, within 10 seconds or something. But I don't know if they would ever do that, even if they did do it, if they would enforce that. Because this is like the standard issue now, Call everybody close. Look around. Nope, this shit ain't working, guys. Go up. Let me back up. Hold on. Now that I'm going to kick it long, let me resituate the ball. There you go. That's like 20, 30 seconds of 
you're not. You got to get fellas like an NBA shot clock. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, there has to be something I think to be added to kind of, I hate to say speed up the game, but be able to punish the team that is not actually playing. Uh, these situations require a true playmaker tradition to break down size. We like a number 10, Brian says. I really still feel like you're not going to get like an old school number 10 into this team. Uh, the best you can do is a player like Thiago, younger, that can kind of play both sides. Because what I'm afraid of is, and I feel like this whenever Thiago comes on, is when you have that number 10, everything else stops. And I think that's what I like about our system. A lot of teams were, you know, like Leicester, like, you got to get the goal to Madison. If it doesn't get to Madison, I don't know what we're going to do. So let's give it to Madison and see what he does. And then he kind of like rolls around on the ball and plays kind of like what Thiago does. And then, yeah, once out of five possessions, he's going to make that pass that starts like an attack or a cross. But four out of five, he dwells on it too long and he loses it. So in some ways, Bickler, I do not want that old school number 10, but I do want midfielders who can help create more, if that makes sense. I mean, it, this is tough because, look, we haven't been a true counter-pressing side in probably two seasons. But, like, the system is, is, is built around counter-pressing in general. And if you're really going to counter-press and you're going to win the ball in the second half of the pitch – if you look at the systems that do it really well between um, – what's the guy's name that started with an H at Southampton? That was at Leipzig. What's his name? He's no longer there, obviously, because he was fired. Um, uh, it, it, yeah, something – huh, yeah, something <laughs> – Hasselhoff, something. I can't – him, Pat, even Jesse Marsh to some extent, and, and um, obviously Jurgen Klopp. These, like – these managers that play counter-pressing football, they don't play with the 10 for a reason. It's because the system can't compensate for that 10 defensively. Like there's like you can't counter-press with the 10 and stay tight enough like as a midfield. So I don't think that we're going to see a 10 as long as Jurgen's here. I just don't see it happening, which is unfortunate because we have 10s across the board. In Harvey and Carvalho, we have players that would love to play that position. I just don't think we're going to see it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that just gets back, that gets back to like the fundamentals of what is the next iteration of Liverpool? Like what does Liverpool football look like next year? Because if we stick with this formation change that, that solves a lot of things between some aging legs in midfield and what Trent's doing well and the additional coverage that provides Trent, it does solve a lot of things, but I mean, this is what city did with, Jal Cancelo, and then they turned around and offloaded him too. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens with this. I mean, now granted, Pep has run a combination of things, and he's completely re- like reinvented John Stones in the similar formation of that we've done with Trent, basically bringing him in as a double pivot. But uh, it, it will be very interesting to see what this next iteration looks like. But – if anything, what I hope it returns to is I hope it returns back to some sort of formidable press that we know from a frontline standpoint and from a counter-pressing standpoint. Because I think our inability to win the ball in the final third has really, really hurt this side this year. Yeah, while you're losing a lot of pieces, it almost makes sense to go back to what you were doing because you still have a lot of those players, especially in your front line. And you kind of recruited along the lines like along the way you kind of recruited based on that system i would think or hope but then we go back to Nunes and stuff and i wish we could say hey over the summer as we make signings we'll get a clearer picture of it but that's what we thought last year and when we saw carvalho and all these people we were like oh we must be switching to four two three one and wrong we didn't switch to anything so um it's almost like we're gonna speculate over the summer as the new names show up but then we're not going to really know for sure until the season begins, which kind of makes it scary slash interesting at the same time. Before we move on from the game, because I want to kind of like talk about the guys that are leaving and get your take on those things. What did you make of the refereeing decisions? Obviously the red card situation, as well as the goal that was overturned. Oh, I mean, 
I, I mean, think the red we card played... one week feels like it's a red card one week. It's not the other. Look, we played poorly enough that like I don't want to sit here and talk about refereeing decisions being the reason we didn't win, right? But like yeah. at the at the at the also we just sent in two different inquiries to the PGMOL about both. And I think both are probably legitimate shouts. Like my first reaction when I saw the verge play, like when, when I saw the free kick go in, my first reaction was Van Dyke looks off. But yes. when I look at that play, I think it's fairly clear that Consa makes a very decisive act on the ball, which should theoretically make that onside. So I don't understand. Like what I saw on Twitter and after the match explanation was that they didn't deem Kanza's act deliberate, which I just completely disagree with. Um, and so I think that's wrong. It seems like they have a difference. Like when you say deliberate or when I say deliberate, when a normal human says deliberate, <laughs> let's go that way. You would think it's intentional, right? I would take that as an intentional. You meant to move your right. body there or somehow block it to me it's intent you try to block it so therefore is deliberate their deliberate is more like willing and able or something where like you try to bring it down or you try to kick it that way or something like that they kind of have like this bogus subjective description of it and i think that's where it kind of falls apart and why leave all these gray freaking areas I think this is what, like, I, you know, and this is the problem. Like, we've introduced VAR or VAR to get rid of this ambiguity and gray areas in the game, right? But now we're reduced to redefining every interpretation of a rule based on the verbiage. And it's just gotten so ridiculous, and there's no consistency whatsoever. Like, yeah. So that one, I feel like they personally, on first sight, I thought they got it right. The more I look at it, the more I hear about it, the more I hate the decision. Yes. As for Gakpo, for me, that is always a red. And I know we had some differing opinions in Discord on this. Like, to me, it's like I understand that most, like, careers are ended below the knee. Like, I get that. And I understand that's why we call that studs up. But to me, like, now we're redefining endangering. Just because you're putting a player in a position that doesn't mean his career is going to be ended doesn't mean you haven't endangered the player. And if you're so raking studs down somebody's rib cage or down in somebody's chest, I don't know how you get away from that definition. Like, I don't know how you say like, oh, well, you know, he was close to the ball. He got ball there. I mean, you know, like, I don't know how you logically maneuver yourself away from that. Like, to me, it's a straight red. And, like, as a former striker, if I had ever done that and caught somebody like that, I'd probably be halfway off the pitch already before they asked me to turn around and look at the card. Really? Back you know? in, but you're younger than me. Back in my day, you could get away with that shit. It was a yellow. Like, you know, you were like, it was more of a, my bad. I, <laughs> I thought I could get to the ball kind of a thing. And you would just get a yellow. And you would like, I don't know. I mean, you could just kind of act it out and in, in, do the immediate, oh, shit. And then, you know, get a yellow and walk away and be like, eh, stop that either way kind of a deal. But, um, I mean, Brian's is making it up as they go. And I think, I don't know, like I said, I didn't see the Discord chat about that one. But I think most of the arguments always go back to comparisons. And I think it should not be that way. So here's the, here's the problem with all this, right? So, like, I understand that individual referees – they ref games differently, right? They have different styles. They let more go. Some don't let things go. Yeah. Some are tighter. Like every referee has their own style. And I think that's totally legit. And I, and I, and I actually kind of like that. You know what I mean? Because like I remember even in high school, like we had certain refs that you just knew there was certain shit you could do yeah. and certain shit you couldn't do, right? And even if you and get into, you like, had to die, the first 10 minutes was more feeling it out. Let's right. See what what he does yep yep right exactly and in the college ranks all the way up through in this in the united states it's like the same thing like right but these guys all know these referees here but my thing about that is, is if you want to keep that great but if you want to keep that we can't continuously go down this route of like trying to universally 
make the rules uniform across the board in terms of how they read and most importantly, how they're interpreted. Because if we're going to do that, then we strip that away from these individual referees in terms of their style. And like, that's the problem for me is like, all right, so are we reinterpreting these rules and getting it universally across the board on the same page refereed the same way, or are we letting these referees ref matches in a way that stylistically coincides with how they want this match to play out in terms of the things they want to see and go like, and I think there's just like, we're not ever going to get an answer that makes supporters happy and makes viewers happy until PGMLO, the FA, all these people get on the same page with how they want this thing to look across the board. Because to me, like, Things like VAR and offsides have totally, totally taken one rule of this game and completely twisted it out of context. Like offsides was originally created to make sure that there was not an like not an unfair advantage to, to the attacking player. And now we're drawing lines within a centimeter of some center back who's got his back to the entire play walking up, and we're drawing it off the back of his heel. That's not why we created the offsides rule. Like, and the original people that created that rule would fucking laugh about that. Like, yeah, it was, it, it's just stop cherry picking, really, is what it was. Right. Like, we just we have to decide, like, what was the original intention of these rules, and how do we want to, like, how is this supposed to be refereed moving forward? And I just don't think, I honestly don't think there's been enough hard questions asked at that level, and there hasn't been enough intelligent conversation had at that level to make sure that this is universal across the board and we're doing the things in the spirit of the game that makes sense because the way we're doing offside rule doesn't make sense in the spirit of the game. The way that we're looking at like that, that like that challenge on Gakpo, like, dude, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? See the challenge with that is, and I understand like Brian says, there are certain rules that are set in place for reasons. And I go back to like, I, I agree that every ref kind of, you know, this is at every level, uh, like kind of like referees are differently, right? And you start playing the game and you kind of know, oh, this guy's going to fucking call everything, right? Or anytime, anytime somebody falls, this guy is calling it. And sometimes you're like, man, I can get all the kind of late kick. As a defender, you're like, I can do these late kicks all day long. This guy is going to let it go. You know, uh, I feel bad for your guy. This guy's heels because I'm going to be clipping every single time. But those are the only things like, you know what I mean? Like those one-on-one -on -one, uh, like physical interactions are the only ones that usually that impacts that. It should not impact the decision that's a red card offense, like the last man or the handball and stuff. Those should not be subjective. Like the other side, yes, you kind of like figure it out and you adjust your game to it. But certain things should be said. I, I go back to, you know, what you're saying on the offside, which I do agree that it kind of has become like a whole ordeal that is not within the spirit of the rule. But at the same time, if you do not make it with that guy's freaking heel, you are, we're going back to the other problem where you're making it subjective. So it's like, is that heel in play? Is that, is that guy's heel important? Maybe his ass was over here instead of there. It would be offside. Whereas you draw a line and it's more set in stone. But at the same time, then we go back to this verbiage problems where, you know, did he make it deliberate contact and stuff like that? So I think finding that fine balance where you let the ref, but I think that's where VAR should come into play, but it feels like VAR is more enforcing what the exact rule says, as opposed to bringing like a different perspective and says, Hey, no, that guy had nothing to do with it. It's still in play. He tried to play it. It's a goal. I just think it's weird to me because like we created these rules when the game was subjective now. Right. And now we're basically using technology to not make them subjective. And so like, then we have to look at like, was that the intent of the actual rule though? Like would the rule have been written that way if they knew there was going to be technology in play? I don't think there would have been. Yeah. But how would you change sense? the rule? We got like told a different thing over here, but this is I, I, I think there's, I, I think there's two <laughs> things at play. I think there's two major things at play. I think the verbiage in the rules needs to be cleaned up yeah, big time. Right. And I think secondly, like, I think we need to look at VAR and ask, like, what do we need to use VAR for? Like, to me, like, VAR has created a lot more controversy and a lot more questions on things than there has been answers. Like, and do, like, 
we, we talked about like, yeah, but we was it prevented. We, we put this in play to like prevent people from like getting screwed out of points when there is clearly an error made by the referee. Right. But that's not what we're doing. Now we're screwing people over centimeters essentially. Like, so like, I just think like in general, VAR has created far more of a mess for this situation and made the situation harder than the referees than before it was there. Because now we have a situation where we have VAR refs in a booth that don't want to call a referee over to a monitor. Or we have referees that are instructing VAR to not have them come to the monitor. So, you know, which is even scarier. Like, so it's created a lot of issues that I don't think were there before. Yeah, I'm torn on that, though. I, I mean, Joyner says uh, there were some holy questionable refereeing decisions on Saturday. And I agree. And I think that's because, like, this uh, kind of like what Matisha says, kicks near the head tend to be refs, not be refed consistently. Because, yeah, we saw that whole thing with, for example, Jota, which I thought should have been a red. But, of course, we went and said, well, that dude should not have been on this field at the same time. But it should have been a red. I mean, really, that, that tackle alone should have been a red. This one should have been a red. And I think the problem now is we're looking at something. I mean, most of the comments that came in for this one that I saw online that it wasn't a red was, well, Jota wasn't a red either. Well, I mean, that just because that wasn't called and it was a bad call should not justify any bad calls moving forward. The I'm justification like, well, for Jota that I've seen is that Skip should have been on the pitch anyway, and which is not a justification. Well, Skip should not have been there anyway. Well, it's I, not a justification I, either. Yeah, exactly. It's not like, okay, I mean, that's because it's not there. We should have been like, you should not be here. Let me step on your head real quick. Yeah. <laughs> this should have been air. You shouldn't have even been here under my <laughs> But, I mean, that's the problem is when we're comparing these poor decisions to other poor decisions and trying to justify them that way. I mean, I thought Jota should have been a red, and I thought this should have been a clear red. And I think he, the, with the Van Dyke thing, that whole deliberate thing, but one thing I do disagree is you have to, because then you're kind of playing both sides. We're saying we don't want it too subjective, but then that heel has to come in play. You got to draw a line. It has to be the, and I think the, the bottom line is that verbiage has to cover all freaking scenarios or something. Because when it comes to the VAR, it's almost like a dude over there opening the book. Well, I guess I'm old school. It's probably opening a file, PDF file now and scrolling down and saying, like, what did we say about this six months ago? Yep, that's it right there. It's not deliberate. This all goes like, back to the fact that I think the Dutch League got this right and how they do the offside line. rule, where they basically did a thicker line. Yeah, because, like, and it feels weird for me to, to like, to actually come to the come to the table and defensive, like, defenders in general. But I think it's just so ridiculous. Like, it's so ridiculous. Like, I feel like it's so patently unfair towards defenders in general. It is, but I feel like every sport is doing that. I mean, you look around any pro sports, it's almost like, because it's all about this. I blame the young kids. Uh, it's all about like scoring and high scoring and stuff like that. And what's the way to do it? Take away. Pretty soon they'll all be shooting three pointers. They'll be nothing. <laughs> I mean, you know, like an NBA dude cannot – NFL, you cannot touch a guy now. You know, if you can't sneeze yeah. on him. I mean, it used to be – and then, you know, like you look at NBA, people like, you know, if you watch the old Lakers Celtics series, Pistons and stuff like that, now they're like, these young yeah. kids not make it that day. It's like a total different game, and it is going more and more towards – Yeah, player safety has gotten out of control. control. But I think I – think, you know what's funny is they talk about player safety like it's a general wear, like wellness thing for for the leagues. Like they want the players to be have longer careers. The fuck they don't. This is all about money. It's all about money. It's not it's not a coincidence that player safety has coincided with the fact that these guys, these clubs are investing so much money into players now. Like that's not a coincidence. They don't give a like shit protecting about your players. assets more than protecting the players. Right. So players it's not about their their it's not about like if these guys have a great life after they're retired. No, it's about protecting assets. And that's why the game's changed. Money ruins everything. I'm telling I you. I mean, if we really cared about players and player safety, uh, we wouldn't trot out players who just came out banging their heads on a header 
and we were like, no blood? You you look good. You just try it well, back you out there. You wouldn't cram 106 fixtures into a season. Yes, exactly. So, but sadly, I don't know. I mean, one thing I'm hoping is they do look at this, and that's what Klopp was talking about in terms of, like, killing time and stuff like that. We got to really look at it objectively and make adjustments. Will they be? No. So we'll probably continue to get screwed. But the biggest part of the game, obviously, for most about – uh for most of us was bobby's last game obviously he was not the only one their last home game i should say uh so i kind of wanted to go through all four and i want you to give a grade out of 10 for their liverpool career all right so we'll go in the same order that they were introduced uh after the match let's go with your boy i don't know why he's your boy but anyway (laughs) Your boy Nabi, Nabi lad, what do you give Nabi? What does all the listeners listening in line right now give Nabi as a Liverpool career out of 10? What do you give him? Are we going pluses or minuses too? Or are we just doing straight letter grades? It's out of 10, so it's going to be hard to do letters, but oh, so it's you, one out of 10. You. So I, I was close. <laughs> Well, you said we're going to give grades, and then you went 1 through 10. Oh, so, I mean, yeah, I'm old school, man. Out of 10 grades. Okay, great. I just want to consult the verbiage and the rules first. Like, uh, okay. Uh, okay, out of 10. I'm assuming 10 being, 10 being great and 1 being terrible. Well, yes. Okay. On, uh, this is worse than trivia. We're like, now we're I'll go, with trivia. I mean, I'll, with Nabi, I'll go, I'll go three and a half. You, you had to go halves and shit too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that well? Here's my thing with Nabby, right? The reason that I think Nabby gets moved down so much is because of the amount of money spent on him and the expectations. Yeah, right. Like I think, I think when Nabby was fit, like I, I almost want to scrap this entire year because I really think that when he wasn't named the Champions League side, he basically folded it in and said, "I'm done. I'm not yeah. playing anymore." And I think everything else that we've basically created in terms of why he's not playing are excuses to cover up the fact that he basically locked himself out of the team when he didn't make the Champions League squad. Which to me, it's kind of crazy he didn't make the Champions League squad because I'll tell you what, when I think he's fit, there were often times when he was arguably our third to fourth best midfielder. Um, And I think a lot of people don't want to face that reality that he was actually fairly good when he was fit and in the system. I do think that tactically he wasn't a good fit for the system. And I don't think that we vetted that hard enough. Like he never betted in and did the things that the system requires. And I don't know if he was. Or is it the league? Do you think it's really the system or is it because of how the league is and the system being in that league? I mean, it's probably a combination of both, right? But I think the system demands things in Abbey defensively that he's not capable of. Uh, and I think I think it probably like yes I think that he is probably a player that's going to do very very well in a slower more technical league League One Serie A La Liga I think he'll do well in those leagues for sure I don't know that he would do as well in the Bundesliga but I think he will do very well in those other leagues and I think somebody is going to get a player that does really really well I think out of all four players he has the potential to have the best career post his move Yeah that's fair and obviously I mean. Obviously, he has more years left in it too. Well, I don't know. Depends on his injuries, I guess. But I agree. I think in a, he, his next step, we're gonna be like, where the hell was this? It's gonna be one of those guys where you're gonna yeah. watch highlights and you're gonna be like, what the? Where the hell was this guy when he was here? He didn't do anything for us and stuff. He also what strikes me as somebody there? that just personally didn't get along with Jurgen Klopp. Like I, I, I really feel strongly that like maybe Naby doesn't do that well with adversity. Like, I think that he is used to being, like, you know, one of the the top names on the team sheet. And when it was very clear that he wasn't and that he was having to earn himself into the rotation, I don't think he responded the way that you're going to want him to respond. And I don't think that helped him. I agree. And I think part of it was from being one of the top pieces to being just a complimentary thing, I don't think it's helped him. And then when he was injured on top of that, and it was kind of like became an afterthought. And we know how club works. You don't just come back and start again. You kind of get 15 minutes here, 25 minutes there. You slowly kind of work yourself back in the starting 11. I think for somebody whose spot was guaranteed, 
I don't know, like it would be similar to, I don't know, like Mo or Van Dyke or somebody like that going to a different team and not always, you know, getting the same guaranteed treatment that they were getting, the automatic respect they were getting at their old club. And I agree. I wouldn't give it a four, too. I don't do the halves. I'll round off your three and a half. I agree with the four because I feel like it is mostly based on expectation, though. I think if he was a tacky kind of a purchase, we might give him a six and move on. But I think because of the price tag and the expectations he came with, I think four sounds uh, fair. And yeah, everybody's kind of like sending him to France to be. So I think any league, I kind of count Bundesliga as well. I think he would do well. Uh, where he has more time on the ball and he can kind of like in a system that works for him, I think he will do well. James Milner. I mean, I felt like I say out of this squad, I mean, I love these guys. I mean, this has been like a really likable squad overall the last three, four seasons. Uh, but this guy, you know, along with Bobby has been kind of like on top of my list in terms of guys I respect. I mean, Handel is on that list. You know that. Um, what do you give Milner? I'm not allowed to do half, so I'll go eight, and I'll tell you why. I know, yeah, I know. That's high, actually. Okay. Oh, hi. Okay. All right. I thought it seemed low for him because, like, he came on a free, right? And he gave us a lot of position versatility. He gave us a leader in the dressing room. He gave us a fitness warrior who sort of raised the expectation for these guys uh, from a fitness standpoint. Um the reason I don't give him a 10, there's a number of reasons. One, I don't think he contributed enough from a first-team standpoint. Um, secondly, he was on some really, really big wages until he, re- until he restructured his contract. Not his fault, just what happens when you come on a free. Um, your wages get sort of inflated. Um, but playing on those big wages, I would have liked – like to me, uh, he peaked in – was it 18, 19? 19, what was the year we won the Champions League? Uh, 1920. 1819. 1819. That year he had like a cra- yeah. like something like almost like 14 assists or something crazy in the Champions League. Like he absolutely tore it up and was playing a lot in term in, in an integral part of that like midfield rotation. I think that was when he was at his best. I just felt like that window was really short and he really got pigeonholed to playing like fullback depth a lot more than I would have liked him to. Um, also not his fault. Um, but yeah, for me, he's an eight. I thought he was like, I mean, you can't ask for anything more on a free from in terms of like having somebody who's going to provide you with longevity, stability, and leadership. And across the board, he provided all those three things in spades. Eight is more than fair. I think I would even contemplate nine for him. Uh, Brian is giving it a 10. I think the fact that he was literally a backup for like four or five positions at the same time. I think we just didn't use him in goal uh, by itself. And coming on a free transfer, it's kind of like the reverse of Keita. First off, maybe we would give him a – would it be fair, for example, like if Milner was signed for $25, 30000000 million, would you lower his grade down to seven or something like that because the value no. overall goes down? No, he just wasn't available enough for me to do that. I would still, even if we got Nabby for like 30, 40. No, no, no. I'm talking to Milner instead of a free for 20 or five. Oh, Milner, 30, 40. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think he's still been a great buy, even at 30, 40 million at that age when we got him, for sure. Yeah, I think that that's why I think eight. Uh, Trevor says eight is perfect, a blend of leadership with a small window of steady production. And that's the thing. I think he was able to give you. Everything we needed or wanted out of him. I think we wanted his leadership. We wanted him to set the example. And, I mean, the guy played right back, left back, midfield, defensive mid. Uh, I think he was the perfect guy to try out the kids with in a League Cup game, FA Cup game, and stuff like that. Um, so I would definitely give an 8. And I think that's the only reason I'm not going 9 or 10 either because you did not see him consistently as a part of the starting 11. Uh, even, you know, in the top glory days he was still part of like the you know out of the four he would be rotated uh because of his age and everything but i think you know man uh, it's like definitely going to be a mess i mean it was a guy to kind of like admire his attitude and like how he carries himself how he talks and stuff like that so it'll definitely be a guy if he does go into coaching moving forward it's definitely going to be a guy that you're going to root for 
to be successful as a manager just because of his overall demeanor and everything like that. For sure. Ah, uh, moment of silence. How many more times? I can't even say great opportunity for him anymore. Uh, what do you give Ox? This is kind of like a tricky one. And I know you'll probably go lower than I will, but let's go. Oh, this is yeah. Good. I mean, I'm gonna give him the same. I, like honestly, I'm gonna give him the exact same grade that I'm gonna give Nabby. What? I give him three, three and a half to four. Like, look, dude, he had like what? How many years of productivity did he have? Like maybe one, maybe two. Like I, I, I just don't think like he had. Now, granted, the, people forget, and I know you're gonna say this. People forget that his years of productivity, where he was in the side. He scored some big time goals when we were making title push for sure. But that window was so limited and so small. And he was on pretty high wages for this entire duration and just never available. I think it was a combination of the fact that like you asked me about Nabby, did it have to do with the league or does it have to do with the system? And like I said, I think it's a combination for Ox. I don't think it's the league. I think it's the system. I don't think the system was ever a fit for this dude. And he couldn't figure it out at Arsenal either. Like they liked to play him wide, but he didn't want to play wide. He wanted to play centrally. Right. And like, we offered him opportunities to do that. He just never gelled into it. And I think the system demands way too much defensively, very similar than Abby, like where we needed things from him that he wasn't capable of producing in that midfield. Uh, and I think his time of production was so limited. That's where I land on him. Big wages for not a lot of return. That's harsh from my boy Ox there, I think. Wait, see, now let me tell, let me ask you this way. Do you take a prime Ox over Jones right now, for example? Because I felt like he filled that role perfectly. The attacking side of this midfield being able to shoot from outside the box, be a threat when he's moving and facing the ball, facing the goal with the ball in his foot. I mean, I thought he brought – I'd give him a six. Uh, Matush gives a six as well. And I think that's because I feel like if he was healthy, we would probably be talking a seven or eight. I don't want to take his – But, guys, but guys, he wasn't healthy. That's the thing. It's like he wasn't. Like, and you're asking me to pick him over Jones – who I don't know – we don't know what Jones's ceiling is. We don't. Like, Ox missed more time well, than I, Abigail. I, I guess that's fair, but, you know, that was more like a comparison in terms of prime form Ox that we saw right before he got injured against Roma. Wouldn't you want to have him right now in this midfield as that third midfield over Jones? Well, why, why isn't he? Why hasn't he? He's gotten no time. Like, he's gotten less time than Nabby has. And he's been yeah, injured. I mean, in terms of games, I mean, especially the last couple of seasons, I mean, 21-22, he played 17 games. This season, he's only featured in nine. And, yeah, I mean, his production since after, like, the 19-20 season, after the title winning season, basically, has been, like, downhill. But Dude, I, think I overall, just can't. I can't go above a five for a guy who's never available. <laughs> I can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. Uh Oh, yeah, I, I stick with my six. And I think mainly that could partially be because I take some points off of Nabi for attitude overall. And the That's because I you spent three and a half years saying this is a big chance for Ox. It is a big opportunity for Ox to get a six from me. So I, <laughs> <laughs> so I, will, I will give him that. I will give him that. Uh, prime healthy Ox any day over Jones, Brian, but he says Brian, but he does give him a five. Uh, last but not least, Bobby, an easy 10. How fucking dare you? Yes, definitely a 10. <laughs> uh, redefined, redefined the position. I think he, there are going to be books written about how he redefined how to counter press out of the nine. Uh, he plays a game with a genuine joy that you don't often see with professional footballers. He got as much joy out of making the players around him better as he did scoring game winners. Um, I We could probably dedicate an entire pod to, to Bobby. Um, he is by far my favorite Liverpool player, and it's not even close. Yeah. Um, and I literally woke up with a pit in my stomach the other morning that I have been dre – I dreaded this day for years. Absolutely 
for for literally for years I've thought about there's going to be a time where he plays his last match for Liverpool. Um, and absolutely sick to my stomach about it. But I think almost the way that he's living Liverpool is the perfect way for him to leave. Like his whole bit about this chapter being a beautiful, a beautiful part of his story that's coming to an end in time for him to open a new chapter is the most distinct, poetic, beautifully put way I could could coin like could actually talk about his career. Um, so it's fitting that only he can sort of put that mark on his career in a way that few could. Um, I am over the moon happy that he's going to close this chapter on his own terms and move on, but I'm absolutely gutted that we don't have 10 more years of him. Yeah, it is. It's sad. I mean, it's probably the saddest. And I watch so many freaking clips. Like I keep singing the song to myself, doing random things at all times. Like I was laying in bed, like I closed, like the, it was still playing in the background. I probably watched way too many highlights of him, like on his last day and stuff. But yeah, I think easily my favorite guy as well. And I think it's like the selflessness more than anything else. And just the way he carries himself. And I think, yeah, that's a big part of it too. The fact that you can see, and not because of only the smile, but you can see the joy he takes in playing the game. And, you know, like there's a lot of stuff and I know there's like a documentary coming out and stuff about him as well. I mean, you kind of like read about his past and his going. To me, it kind of reminds me of like Sadio in that sense. Uh, that was one of the things that I liked about like Mane when he was here. Uh, that joy in the face as they're playing the game. And it gives me that thing that, you know, you get, you almost see through them that they appreciate the moment and where they're at in their career. Because there are some players almost like you can kind of tell that perhaps they're taking it for granted a little bit uh, for one reason or another. You look at these, like you look at Bobby and you kind of like almost get that feeling that he appreciates every moment he's getting there. And most of the joy is coming from that. Um, but let's bring this guy on. Speaking of joy, uh, oh, man. straight from his crimes in the Charlotte area, uh, we have Gally here. Gally, good news is you just made it in time for trivia. Uh, I did save it for the last <sighs> show. So Gally, I didn't know you could get into a hotel with that many stars. <laughs> yeah, there's a zero chance I could. Someone else paid the bill. That's why they let me in. <laughs> So uh, I know you like you have a limited time, but figure like we'd have you hop on and give us your grades for these guys over here. So we're to make it clear because Bickler yep. always was very confused uh, with the grading system. It does go from zero to ten, uh, so it's a number because uh, you know Bickler was confused. He was trying to put letters, uh, and ten okay. really good, zero not so good. Right. Look, just because it's not trivia doesn't mean I'm not stalling for Galley still. We had some challenges. Hello. Explain into Bickler. So, Keita, give me your So, I think if I was actually grading Nabi Keita, honestly, I, I think it has to be somewhere between like a three and a five. Um, and that's on his overall impact. I just feel like we, it, it's an incomplete for me. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, it's an incomplete. That's what Nabi gets. Like, if I were a teacher, I would give him the grade of incomplete because I don't feel like. Just like fit that. with what we did Whatever. and i don't i don't know we ever wanted to change what we did to fit with him and i've always felt like that was his number one issue for me is that he didn't fit and we didn't change to his best play now we're gonna get to ox in a moment and i know there's a lot of love for ox both in our discord channel and on this podcast of course right but here's the thing to paul's point that i heard him say as i jumped on waiting to come on do you realize that in the 10 matches leading up to the Champions League final, Nabi Keita did more for Liverpool Football Club in that run than anything Ox did at any of the moments that we remember his highlights. He just did it in a microcosm of what we watched. And, and we'll get to Ox. So I think with Keita, you know, someone in our Discord channel, I think it was Michael Martin, said, who will have the best next career? And I won't be shocked if it's Keita. I will go on record right now. I believe Navi Keita will go to either Inter or AC Milan and be one of the top 10 players in Serie A next year. The tactics will fit his style. His talents will reemerge. 
and we will see more of the Leipzig player. Ultimately, he didn't fit Jurgen Klopp. I'm not sure if he hadn't been signed by a different English Premier League club with the right tactics and formation, he might not have become the star we thought he would be. But I got to rate him on what I saw, so he's a three to a five. So we'll go with a four. <laughs> you yeah, make sure you're done pickling for God's sakes. I'll, I'll give you a four. He's a four. He's a four. But when he played and our tactics fit his style, I believe he was an active, productive member of this side. I just don't think Jurgen Klopp actually likes setting up tactics that met his skill set. Yeah, I think like that, like we talked about, it was partially that, partially, I don't think he's physically built for Premier League personally, but I think, yeah, Fair. we were talking about earlier that I think he will make it well, and obviously he has the age advantage over these other guys as well, so he will do well next time. Since you talked about a lot of Ox already, let's jump to him first. Uh, what do you give him? And I think, like we talked about, you know, Keita's great being slightly lower due to expectations as well. What do you give Ox? I'm going to give Ox a five, and here's the thing. He cost, a, he cost a lot of money at the time. It was a kind of shockingly, like, is it a gamble? $35 million for an injured player from another top six side that has kind of failed to bet in. Here's the thing. He was the next great star at Southampton. He couldn't play enough to actually become a star. He was the next great England star at Arsenal, never found a position, couldn't stay healthy enough to actually earn minutes came to Liverpool as like a last desk and everyone was like, this is great. He's so good. He fits here and clap. He's going to be a stud. And the guy's just never been able to stay healthy. And to Paul's point, I think it gets, I think it gets lost. The fact that he's only had one injury in the last two and a half years yet has still not been able to even be a regular on the bench. Like clap didn't even feel he deserved a spot on the bench in his last match for the club, a spot that could have been Carvalho's for one day or one of eight defenders. And I think it kind of, to me, speaks more to his whole time here as a whole. It's, it's just a sad story of like, you know, wasted talent, in my opinion, when it comes to Ox. So I'll give him a five. Milner. James Milner, because he was free, Let's just give him the, you know, I'll give him the plus one to his number. I'll give him an eight. Um, they won everything. He was brilliant. He was awesome. But here's the thing about Milner. He taught this team more about winning than he actually did about playing on the pitch. And I think they needed it. I think he made Henderson better. I think he made every single person there better. And I'm going to say something no one wants to hear. I honestly believe James Milner made Jurgen Klopp better, which is why Klopp was fighting to keep him. I think he needed him and wanted him. And if it wasn't for him, I'm not sure we have any of the success we had, honestly. Yeah, I think you can tell Klopp values like that leadership and he's more about team building. And that's why I think he probably values Hendo and Milner more than anybody else. Before we let you totally. go, let's get a few words of Bobby. We're kind of like no degrade, I think, but uh, give us your take on Bobby. Yeah, so just because I'm Bickler and I like a 1-10 to 10 system that breaks the fucking rules, I'm going to say Bobby Firmino is an 11 because I'll always remember the number 11 who showed up. And I've said it all the time. Like, it saddened me when he gave up his number. I grew up the skinny white kid from New England wearing number 11 all his life. The first jersey I had for Liverpool Football Club was a Bobby Firmino number 11 because I love the number and the player. I love the passion he had, but more importantly than anything – Klopp made him great, but honestly, his progression through this side is arguably like one of the most fun things I've ever watched as a, as a Liverpool supporter, because let's not kid ourselves for the first two, three years, he was, he was every bit the mixed bag that everyone else was. Was he overhyped? Was he overpriced? Was he the Brazilian from Hoffenheim? Was he good enough? Was he a 10? Was he a nine? You know, he just wore number 11 and we didn't understand it. And I think Klopp figured it out. But ultimately, whether it was Brendan Rodgers, whether it was Klopp, whether it was Pep Linders, everyone knew his value because his smile and his presence on the pitch made people around him better. But more importantly, it made the team more fun to watch and support. And I'm never going to forget that. Like when you say it all, 
I can come up with 20 different moments, including that goal on Saturday afternoon. But the thing I'll never forget is going to be his smile. And it's not the one with the fake choppers. It's actually the one that showed up from Hoffenheim that still couldn't speak the language the day he left town. But he just showed the love and admiration for the club and for us supporters. And it pains me that he's leaving. But I think it's best for everyone because I don't want to watch another year where Bobby Firmino makes 14 appearances and looks a wonderful, beautiful shell of himself. He should go somewhere he can play, play minutes that are meaningful. And I think, again, wherever it is he lands, Barcelona, Juventus, somewhere in – he could go to PSG, honestly, and probably run the goddamn league, play with Mbappe. And imagine the freaking movement he would give and the space he would create for him. But ultimately, it doesn't matter where he goes. He's going to be great. But this is the biggest thing. He will always be goddamn ours. And I'll die on the vine on that. When he goes out, people remember him as a Liverpool football player. I don't know about Milner. I know it is an ox. But Bobby Firmino is ours. And for that, I'm so goddamn proud. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I was just reading earlier today about his smile, and that's something like from his like childhood all the way. I mean, that the joy that the guy plays with, and he's just like always. In it's like a great dude to be around. I can already tell. So, well... Gally, thanks for hopping on, man. Don't cause too much trouble over there, more than we're going to read on the news. Uh, so let's, let's leave it at that. Take it easy, buddy. Bye, guys. Oh, shoot. Um, man, like he's like in the hotel. That just looks dangerous over there. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was like a sad part of the weekend, uh, obviously, just watching it afterwards. It's the guy we're going to miss. And I agree with Gally. I think of all these guys... I don't know about Milner. I'm a little torn on Milner uh, in terms of what people will remember. Will they remember the Liverpool Milner? Will they remember the City Milner, you think? Because I thought he brought a good point. I mean, I think, you know, Keita, God knows anything. Uh, and honestly, it could be his next team, like we were talking about, where people remember him for, you know, if he goes there and plays like four or five years or something. Um, but for Milner, you think when people look back and think Milner, what jersey is he going to be wearing? I don't know. That's a that's a tough one uh, because I don't know. When I think of Milner, I still think of Leeds. As weird as that is, really? Because I know, yeah. Because I mean, he's like he's a Leeds kid, like you know, and that's where he came up through the system, and you know, that's where he was rumored to return to. Um, I don't think he's going to now, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know, like what his sort of legacy will be when people think about what kit he's going to be in. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's a weird one. Because when he brought that up, I was thinking of all the other guys. Because, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think Bobby, anybody, when you say Bobby, they're going to think Liverpool. Uh, but I don't know about Milner. I don't know about – I mean, Ox, honestly, most people will probably think Arsenal. I would think. Right? Yeah. Uh, Keita, God knows, more than likely, like I say, it would be. Uh, Sparky says Liverpool Milner because he was a star at Liverpool. A city yeah. one of so many sides. Was he a star? Was of but I, think I don't think will uh, people remember him more for winning stuff at Liverpool, I guess, compared to winning stuff at like City, for example. Or are we just take, thinking Leeds because you know we always like pictures like first start and stuff like that? So that's like an interesting one we should make a poll out of. But here's something we should make a poll out of Southampton game. Uh, what do you expect? How much stock do you put into it? Uh, do you even care or do you still keep it almost like a extended preseason? Uh, I'm more concerned about whether Chelsea can score a goal versus United than what we do for Southampton, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Do you still have um, hope for top three? I will have hope. Like, you know, as the constant pessimist on this pod, I know this is a weird look for my brand, but like I will hold on to hope until there is none. Like until until Chelsea pessimism, yes. yeah. Until Chelsea lays a dud, I will remain hope that there is no ocean too big for United to drain. And so uh I will like yeah, so I, that's what I'll be hoping for. Uh as for Southampton, I'd like to see a solid win. Um, I don't have any lineup predictions. I feel like we should probably put out a relatively decent and relatively strong lineup. 
Yeah, I'm kind of torn on it as well. I just don't want to. I don't hold any hopes for top six. To be honest, losing both games seems a bit tricky to me. Especially seeing Chelsea, I can't. I mean, I know they have the talent to make something happen, but you would think United can scrape a draw out of one of these, at least in the worst case scenario. And I have a feeling Bournemouth was the game that I was holding more hope for. To be honest with you, no hope for top six. To me, uh, did I say top six? Really? Uh, no, top four. I think I'm at six percent. Maybe that's what I mix it up for. I'm at six to eight percent all the way down from 34. But yeah, but Southampton game, I do agree. I'm hoping that we get the easy win. I really want to see the same lineup being trotted back out there to see, figure out what we have, see how much more of Diaz we're gonna get. I think it's going to be an interesting summer, which I'm sure we'll talk a lot about moving forward over here. But uh, as I mentioned earlier, though, stay tuned because the one-day event is going to correspond with the Southampton game. We'll announce that during the week, and then we will be back. I will be back Wednesday morning with the morning coffee show. Bickler will be causing havoc in North Carolina, and we'll see if Galley ever gets back home from Charlotte. So that should be an interesting See if I got to drive three and a half hours to go. Get Galley out on bail. <laughs> yeah, at least you're closer. There's no way I'm yeah. driving over there. So <laughs> you will have to wait till I'm on vacation out of banks and I'll swing by and pick him up like three weeks from now. <laughs> that's, that's his best shot, probably, for me bailing him up. But thanks to all those listening, chiming in. Uh, do us a favor, give us a share. Uh, our YouTube channel, especially, we're throwing out there shorts and clips left and right. Uh, make sure you pass the words. Uh, so we can increase the exposure and the followers and the numbers over here and make Bickler famous. Help us make Bickler's optimism let's famous. Not, Trevor says, let's not do that. the eternal optimist. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Have a nice week, everybody. Take care.